0: this new business practice in the real estate industry that really caught me by surprise. What's happened is companies have sprung up around the country that approach homeowners that are cash strapped, offer them a modest amount of money, $700, $1,000 to sign an exclusive real estate listing agreement with that company that extends for 30 years. And in addition to the time constraint, that contract is, a lien is placed on your home to enforce that, so you can't get out of it So it's incredibly unbalanced and it's clearly preying on people who are just not financially savvy and are desperate for cash. We really ought to have a bill to, to prevent that, make that illegal.
1: Hello and welcome again to another episode of Town Talks. I'm your host, Jarrett Blonien, and today we're glad to be joined by Assemblymember Greg Hart. Greg, how's it going? Thanks
0: for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jarrett. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a gorgeous day. I'm actually telling people the weather in Sacramento is better than in Santa Barbara right now. Whoa. That's a rare thing to say. Totally rare. Yeah, what is the weather like down there? Like Have we've down been... In- It was like 70 degrees. I was down in Anaheim
1: a couple weeks ago. It's been
0: this weird, gloomy, foggy thing for about the past six weeks, but eventually it's going to burn off and it'll be gorgeous. But right now, Sacramento is the place to be. The June gloom
1: is uh, is here, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and as we know, this episode is brought to you by Southwest. And that is why you are, are now in the assembly, right? Because there's a um, direct flight from Santa Barbara to
0: uh, Sacramento. I think that's a key part. And I'm really grateful to Southwest. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time on the plane. It comes directly from Sacramento to Santa Barbara. Yeah. And it's made my life a lot easier. Yeah. Um,
1: no, yeah, your predecessors could tell you the uh, the burdens of, of trying to find a way.
0: I think here. going back to Jack O'Connell, who I worked for, and Hannah Beth Jackson and Pedro Nava, they all, the first thing they said to me is, get used to driving to Burbank to fly to Sacramento, yeah. and um, things are working out much better. Well, you know, as, as all go,
1: we all go to Santa Barbara, and we all question, you know, one, how could you ever, you know, live here? It's mm-hmm. so great. And then two, why would you ever want to leave? So, mm-hmm. you know, the quick hour flight there and back makes it easy to come,
0: come and go. And it was part of a hard decision for me to leave Santa Barbara County. I was a member of the Board of Supervisors and um, was really enjoying the work there, kind of the culmination of a local government career in Santa Barbara. But the opportunity to be here in Sacramento and influence state policy, kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm excited to have this chance.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, kind of like, you know, the central coast, the the southern central coast, kind of where you are, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's probably one of the most beautiful parts of California Mm -hmm. and it's not the most populated. Uh, Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the district and kind of what what is it like Mm -hmm. there to to live and work in Santa Barbara?
0: Well historically the assembly district that I live in used to be split between South Santa Barbara County and Western Ventura County and so the blending of those two coastal areas and now I think really for the first time all of Santa Barbara County is a district with a little portion of South San Luis Obispo County. So it's a very specific geographic area, a lot in common you know amongst those communities and um, I grew up in this area. I was um, living in, in Lompoc when I was two years old, moved to Santa Barbara when I was five and have went to UCSB and Santa Barbara wow. City College and never really lived any other place other than Santa Barbara. So it, this is a new opportunity for me to live in a different community in a different place and, and I'm, I'm loving it. Right.
1: So, you know, we were talking earlier off camera, kind of like how, I guess, you know, after you graduated from Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. you actually worked... Uh, for a legislator in the assembly. Can you kind of tell us about that experience?
0: Yeah, it's a great story, actually, because I was a college student and I was interested in politics. My family business was um, politics mm-hmm. because my father was the library director for the county and city of Santa Barbara. So we talked about local government a lot at the dinner table when I was a teenager and I kind of got interested in environmental issues. That was really the trigger that that sparked my activism in politics. But this young guy who was a high school teacher from Oxnard decided to run for state assembly against... Um, uh, Brooks Firestone, who was the heir to the Firestone oh, Tower of yeah, yeah, Rupert yeah. Fortune, and you know, a guy who was made to be the assembly member from that district at that time, because it was really a purple, purple district, uh, but he didn't work very hard, and Jack O'Connell did. He got um, this army of, of college students. We knocked on every door. Jack wore out shoes and won in the tightest election in that cycle in 1982, and uh, as a result, I got hired uh, to be on his district staff and worked there for about seven years and really got the bug and so ended up with a political career of my own. I got elected to the Santa Barbara City Council and then um, was appointed by Grave Davis to the California Coastal Commission and uh, ended up as a member of the Board of Supervisors before being elected here to serve in the legislature. So it's been a a great ride representing my community. You know, every time I go to Trader Joe's, people stop me in the aisles and talk about everything under the sun and they still do that now when I get back to the district on the weekends. No, that's great. That's a
1: great story. Kind of linking it all together, kind of, you know, that's seven years you spent from what like 82 to 89, mm-hmm. um, kind of how, how has that prepared you to come up here and kind of, you know, be the member, be up here and kind of deal with kind of mm-hmm. the legislature in Sacramento?
0: Well, I think Jack's strength was, um, he's just a great person and, you know, had tremendous respect from his colleagues um, because he was really a hard worker and um, also was generous with his time and, and his attention. So that... Value is really deeply embedded in me, and I I have tried to be that kind of a legislator at the local level, being accessible, being um, a good listener, trying to bring people together and do things um, without a sharp edge. And I'm trying to do the same thing here. I, you know, Before I actually became, got sworn in in December, I went around and met um, most of the new colleagues that I was going to serve with in the freshman class and began to develop a relationship with them. And I, that served me well as right. a starting point. You know, kind of got a little bit of a head start um, in working with these folks. And they're tremendous people that I'm serving with. It's just a really great class. Everybody, frankly, in the legislature that I've met so far has just been impressive to me. Really knowledgeable people who are working incredibly hard and, you know, I'm just trying to fit in and bring some of the experience that I have in Santa Barbara at the local level to the conversations we're having here in Sacramento.
1: You know, yeah, that's pretty cool because you were a you know, a staffer, mm-hmm. a council member, a county soup. So you kind of have all this background. But you also work as kind of like a staff on, on transportation issues as well. Isn't that correct?
0: Yes. Um, I can speak deep uh, policy wonk terms and acronyms in transportation and land use planning because I was the deputy director of the Santa Barbara County Association of Governments. And, um, you know, we have all the, the issues that face the state of California are also intense in, in Santa Barbara. It's one of the most expensive places to live. So housing and affordability and transportation, the nexus with that are all super big issues. We've got difficult water. Water issues um, in Santa Barbara County, too, very limited supplies and have been hit hard by the droughts and, and massive income inequality. It's yeah. one of the wealthiest communities in Montecito in my district and some of the poorest communities in my district. Well, up in Guadalupe and Santa Maria with yeah. um, farm workers. And so I think it's kind of a microcosm of the state of California. People don't think of it that way. You know, I think the original stereotype is kind of like, oh, that's a wealthy, super fancy place. And it is, but it's also right. the other parts of California, too.
1: Um, So University of California, Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. is known as probably one of the biggest party schools Mm -hmm. uh, out there. Was it that way when you went
0: there? It was. was, And the chancellor since then has done an amazing job trying to turn around the reputation of UCSB. I don't think you can ever shed the reputation that Isla Vista brings to the equation. But UC Santa Barbara has, I think, three or five um, Nobel Prize winners now on the faculty. And it's one of the hardest UC campuses to get in. I wouldn't get in today. Um, My son was fortunate. He just graduated, I guess, about two years ago. Uh, But he took the route of transferring from Santa Barbara City College, just like I did. And, yeah. and it's a great path. And, you know, kids all around the state are, are doing the same thing in their local UC systems yeah. by going to community college. I know.
1: I have many a friend who went down to uh, the community college down there and, mm-hmm. and never, never got through it. From it's, a Cairo to a Gaucho, <laughs> but they didn't quite get there. Huh? <laughs> right.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. They, they still might be going to community <laughs> college uh, today. Uh, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, your district ever since, you know, Harry and Megan uh, mm-hmm. moved there. Kind of, how has it been? And how is the uh, royal influence affecting Santa Barbara
0: County? They're very invisible, you know. I have never seen them ever out in public. And same thing with Oprah; she yeah. lives there as well. There's a bunch of Kevin celebrities. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Yeah. I have seen Kevin yeah. Costner, and some of the folks, you know, are more visible and more engaged. And in fact, Kevin Costner is hosting a big event for a nonprofit organization that supports um, first responders and emergency service uh, providers in doing fundraising to help their mental health. Mm-hmm. So different celebrities have chosen to be more or less engaged with the community. And I think, um, Santa Barbarians appreciate the celebrities that engage and help out. And, you know, the other folks, maybe they just haven't figured out the way to be engaged, <laughs> but, um, Harry and Megan are welcome to, to participate in the hundreds of nonprofits that we have. They're doing great work, um, supporting people. Yeah.
1: So, you know, uh, you know, came up to Sacramento earlier this year, kind of, what mm-hmm. was the process like kind of getting acquainted and kind of organizing your staff?
0: Well, it's been a whirlwind. You know, folks here talk about this being a marathon. And my experience personally has been it's a series of sprints. You know, you get here, you got to meet a bunch of people. Right. There's 120 legislators to know and um, be connected to and building a staff team, figuring out a place to live, all of these things, you know, a very compressed period of time. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bills are flowing fast and furious and we've got committee meetings and we've got to move things forward. Right. Then it's the budget now, you know, with the House of origin has passed and we've got the Senate bills going over so I haven't really taken a breath since I first jumped in the pool back in uh, January looking forward to and a little bit of a pause you know in July and then we're back again so um it's I'm, I'm reserving judgment until the course of the whole year is over so I can kind of look back yeah. and go okay well you know did I use my time as strategically as I should have is there things I can do better next year and it's a learning process yeah you know
1: its we we're kind of talking off camera and you're you're kind of talking about how you know, you're kind of taking it slow this year. You're, mm-hmm. you're not, not in a rush to introduce anything. Kind of what what was your bill package look like this year? And how many did you start with? And how many are over in the Senate right now?
0: I think we had started with 14. And um, we have some casualties and appropriations. And then, uh, but we still have 10 bills that have made okay. it over to the Senate. And um, we're working hard on getting those through at the next stage.
1: Yeah. So what kind of, to the 10
0: survivors, kind of mm-hmm. what are they focusing on? Well, probably the big spill is um, an oil spill um, uh Violation penalty enhancement bill. The the CalGem has been um, in the business of regulating oil industry for a long time, but their enforcement powers haven't kept up with the the cost of of uh, inflation over time. So they've got. Old antiquated uh, penalties for oil spill responses and we're trying to bring those up to the 21st century you know have them have enough teeth to really discourage somebody from making some poor business decisions about investing in the infrastructure and the oil development and make sure that that equipment is top-notch and that the public health and safety and the environment is protected so this bill would would do that and it's you know working its way through the process another bill that's really interesting I was told about um, this new business practice in the real estate industry that really caught me by surprise and, and I thought, that that doesn't seem right. There ought to be a law. And, and what's happened is companies have sprung up around the country that uh, approach homeowners that are cash strapped, offer them a modest amount of money, you know, $700, $1,000 to sign an exclusive real estate listing agreement with that company that extends for 30 years. Wow. And, and in addition to the time constraint, that uh, contract is, um, a lien is placed on your home to enforce that. So you can't get out of it um, if you decide that you want to use a different realtor um, without triggering a clause in the contract that that subtracts 10% of the equity in your home. So it's an incredibly unbalanced um, Agreement right. that no one should ever enter into, and it's clearly preying on people, you right. know, who are just not political or financially savvy, and are desperate for cash. And um, when we talked to the Department of Justice about this, they said, "Yeah, we think this is a terrible idea, and we really ought to have a bill to to prevent that, make that illegal." So we're working with the real estate industry to find the right balance, exactly how to do that. But I think that bill is important, and, and um, we're looking forward to that to being successful no, as well.
1: Never never a shortage of uh, great ideas out there huh for <laughs> Yeah, another
0: one that's really um, I think fits my district well because we do have so many nonprofit organizations is um, many of those nonprofits that contract with the state you know to do important work have to front load the resources to do the work before they get compensated the current model is that you do the service and then you're reimbursed by the state and it takes quite a, a long period of time oftentimes to get repaid so nonprofits that don't have um, strong cash flow are in a really disadvantaged position and need to have some help so that my My bill would allow them to get up to 25 percent of the state grant or contract that they're going to receive up front so that they can make sure that they're not in that difficult cash flow position. I think what it'll do is open the lens for um, non-traditional nonprofit organizations that haven't previously been able to do state contracts or grants. And, And that'll help open the lens up, too, to the communities that they serve. No,
1: definitely so you've just gone through your first budget process mm-hmm. Kind of, what are some of your thoughts on the budget and kind of what you learn about the process along the way
0: well it's an interesting year to be coming to legislature you know that is just historically high state budget last year that has been incrementally growing over the past you know four or five years really to the point where you know revenues are really strong the rainy day reserve is fully funded the state's in an incredibly strong fiscal position the economy is even doing well despite you know inflation being a challenge uh, and This year's a little different. There, you know, there's a deficit as compared to last year. But if you look at it over the course of the past three years, it's still an extremely healthy budget. And so, you know, I I was expecting the pain to be more difficult in the budget process with the the lower revenue expectations. But it's, you know, I think we've hit that sweet spot where, you know, the governor had his projections, the ledge analyst office had their projections, Um, the assembly and the Senate have kind of come in between those two numbers, you know, trying to be conservative but also not... um, to the point of creating tremendous pain on the budget. We really ultimately don't know because um, the tax returns have been delayed until October. So it's going to take a little while for the financial system to become crystal clear. But I think we've got a good solid budget that's making strong investments in education and homeless services, increasing um, resources and and, um, the reimbursement rate for childcare providers. And, you know, really hitting the basis on the things that people I think are top of mind important. So, you know,
1: I guess, you know, Child care providing, you know, that's something that's near and dear to your heart, right? For 20 years, you ran a, a preschool. Can you kind of talk about that and kind of the preschool you ran and kind of how that's affecting how you look things uh, up here?
0: Yeah, that was a real labor of love. We started off, my, my former wife and I opened up a small family daycare because my son was about um, six months old and we sort of thought that would be fabulous to be able to have him stay in the family right. daycare and not uh, us not have to make the difficult choice that many parents have to do about having their kids, you know, leave the home and go to a structured program. And it was wonderfully successful. We had six kids at the beginning and their brothers and sisters joined. It grew to 12 kids, and then it outgrew our house. So we moved the school to a location downtown and um, rehabilitated an old craftsman house and made it kind of a beautiful children's center for 45 kids. And we operated that wow. school for about 20, 20 years. Um, it was very successful. And the best part of it was when it came time to get out of that business, we ended up passing it on to a local nonprofit organization that provides um, child care services for homeless children, and that's operating still in that building. Every time I drive downtown to, to go oh, somewhere cool. in Santa Barbara, I drive by that school and, and just a great feeling of, of pride swells up in my heart because it was a, a labor of love. Now, when you guys ran the daycare, did you guys
1: have, uh, did you guys serve food? Did guys we did kids? actually. Yeah. We had
0: um, snacks, kids brought their own lunches. Oh, they brought their own. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, a structured meal thing, but um, kids and food is a fun part of the process. For yeah. Sure. It's definitely yeah. a learning curve,
1: mm-hmm. seeing what
0: they'll mm-hmm. eat. Yep. Um,
1: So you have a few bills uh, dealing with emergency situations and Mm -hmm. the coast was hit super hard this year with all these storms. Can you kind of talk about some of your bills and kind of what they seek to do?
0: Yeah, in fact, uh, my experience on the California Coastal Commission really informed one of the bills that I'm carrying about emergency services. The threshold that um, used to exist in, or currently exists in state law in order to get an emergency permit from the Coastal Commission is very, very low. It hasn't been adjusted for inflation since the Coastal Act was actually created. So my bill will raise that up to a more reasonable um, threshold so that if folks do have emergency repairs that they have to do in the coastal zone, they will not have to go through the full Coastal Commission process in order to do that. And I think that's going to make a tremendous difference. Yeah. I think the Coastal Commission staff itself appreciates that. You know, they, don't, they don't want to be focusing their time on minor reconstruction projects that are slowing down emergency response. They want people to be able to do that work, protect their homes or their businesses, and then they can concentrate on the more difficult, complex coastal access and resource issues that they need to be focused on.
1: Yeah. And I guess another issue always dealing with the coast and the beach is is garbage, right? Plastic. And Mm -hmm. uh, you have a few bills tailored to, I guess, you know, recycling, right?
0: Yeah. And, you know, local governments are trying their best to meet the really high standards that California has set for recycling goals. And uh, my legislation would expand the eligibility of local governments to some of the state grant programs for recyclable materials, giving them access to composting machines and different other technology. And, you know, I I hear from my local government friends that, you know, anything the state can do to help, not just to dictate is... um, always appreciated and that this is the kind of the approach that I'm taking as a legislator is trying to work collaboratively with local governments and be an ally right. in that respect you know it's interesting you know you're talking about how how
1: since you've gotten here it's been a sprint after sprint after sprint mm-hmm. you know I guess you know we just finished the budget here just about uh, and here comes the next sprint right your you know second house mm-hmm. uh, bill sprint kind of can you kind of talk, talk to us about the committees you're on and kind of some of the bills you're going to see from uh, the senators coming your way you
0: know. well we had an interesting bill today actually um in water parks and wildlife um there was a bill to expedite the environmental um, review process uh, for sequel cases for water um storage projects and uh they it, connects to the budget because the governor has a proposal that's going to try and attempt to do permit streamlining for a whole number of of water, transportation, and energy projects. And it's a major priority of his. They're trying to position the state to be able to access the Inflation Reduction Act, federal dollars that are going to be coming to California. There's a lot of money potentially available for California to advance infrastructure projects that we critically need. And, you know, there's a critique that's probably legitimate that California's process is slow and difficult, it's hard to build things right. and you know apparently the federal government recognizes that and so the governor sensitive to it wants to be able to tell um, our federal partners that we're trying to address that and we're going to be in a position to effectively spend those federal dollars quickly and, and and effectively so you know the governor's got this package of trailer bills, one of the sub pieces was in water parks and wildlife today and, and we passed it on a bipartisan vote so I think there's a real opportunity to make progress and do it collaboratively some, some of the environmental organizations Organizations have been criticizing the process and saying this isn't really appropriate for a budget trailer type of mechanism that we ought to work through the regular policy process. So I think we in time as we work through these negotiations, we may end up in a place like that where we can do this, you know, through the regular process. We might accelerate some elements through the budget. But um, I, I think. What the Governor has learned from the oil price um, gouging discussion that he had through the executive process with the legislature, and I know my colleagues feel this way that we can work really effectively with the Governor and accomplish big things and uh, but sometimes it takes us being engaged too, not just you know the governor's approach
1: right. Well, just kind of, you know, your background in transportation, kind of a big frustration is like a lot of these projects do take a lot of time, kind of like high-speed rail, number one, right? Yep. Yep. And, you know, if we could speed up the process to get, you know, the people stuff they need faster, then... That's great.
0: Absolutely. In fact, one of the, the governor's proposals is to expand the ability to do design build for um, big transportation projects. And in Santa Barbara County, we have been doing exactly that with a project for um, the 101 corridor. There's a multimodal uh, project there that would add HOV lanes and add rail transportation and bicycle and pedestrian facilities. It's really you know 21st century tra- uh, transportation investments. And that was done with the design build contracts, one of the exceptions that Caltrans had been granted. And it's been a tremendously successful. The, the design decisions that are made early on save, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars um, in the construction phase. And so taking that tool and applying it to a bigger palette of projects in the state is a really smart idea.
1: No, it's, it's been great. So, you know, you're coming up on, on committee and then you, you got your break mm-hmm. and then the mad dash into August. Kind of what's what are some of the things you're looking forward to kind of finishing out the year?
0: Well, I just, you know, there it's all new to me. So I'm just taking it in day by day. And um, uh, I I I had never have a minute to pause, uh, you know, I get up early in the morning and I'm going late at night and then when I get back on Thursdays, I have got meetings and, and events in the district. So it's a 24-7 life, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break in July to take a pause. Recharge
1: the batteries a bit. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. And, um, but you know, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, the one thing that's suffering is that, you know, I don't get as much exercise as I used to and I got to make a deeper commitment to maybe getting up at five o'clock in the morning yeah. instead of six. Well, that's, that's I was sure. going to ask you
1: like, what's your routine because a lot of members get up early, they do that workout and you kind of you know a lot of members talk about especially new members talk about how they lose themselves because mm -hmm. you're scheduled like all day right you never have that time for yourself
0: I think that's all true and I have not figured it out and I and I need to make a better more conscious decision about that Um, I found that you know I'm struggling with should I go to sleep or should I get up and work out you know and that's I need to do both and so somewhere I got to figure out one of my bills that I kicked around with the staff at the beginning of the year was why don't I legislate a 26-hour day and they laughed and said well you just fill it up with two more hours of work so I don't know (laughs) if you're gonna be ahead in that respect you're going backwards they're trying
1: to do the 26 right. hour a week right,
0: right. yeah <laughs> imagine that
1: <laughs> <laughs> well greg thank you so much for taking some of your uh, time out uh, you're busy uh, to spend time with us and tell us a little about yourself uh definitely refreshing and great energy and uh, thanks for coming on
0: well jared really a pleasure to meet you and, and to have this conversation um, with your listeners and look forward to doing more things together thanks Absolutely. for having me All right. exactly.